One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an awesome idea that you think would make an excellent movie or screenplay? I bet that you have. Maybe you've even thought, hey, I could probably write that screenplay one day. Well, I've thought that too. Now, my background is in documentary filmmaking, but I have started to venture into the world of narrative scripted film. In fact, a couple of years ago, I wrote and direct a short film, The Casserole Brigade, which, by the way, I'll have you know, at one festival won a screenwriting award, thank you very much, but I have yet to write my first feature screenplay. However, as fate would have it, I just came back from a writing retreat weekend. Uh, Shout out to my wife, Maya, for my Valentine's Day present. Just got me a weekend getaway, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go get a cabin in the woods, and I'm I'm going to finally pursue this first screenplay. Now, I have several, several ideas that I want to achieve, but I'm trying to think about it uh, logistically and logically and and practically and and think, hey, which one of these could I do first and potentially make on my own for a low budget? so that I have more than just a screenplay to show. Now, when I was away this weekend, I got a few pages written, like 10 or 15, but what I really got accomplished was the outline, right? The story beats, the the arc of the story, the character and the journey that, that he or she are going through and who's the antagonist and all of these big picture parts of the story. And that is due to the book that I was reading, Save the Cat. And that little tip came from my guest today. What's up, storytellers? Welcome back to the Storytelling Lab podcast. This is episode 128, and today's guest is Julia Yorks. Julia is a working screenwriter. I think her background was from acting, but she writes for television and film, and she specifically helps people. I found her on TikTok. She specifically helps people understand how to get that first screenplay written. She explains the nature of the business and kind of demystifies what's going on behind behind closed doors and like how the gatekeepers work and how to actually be in the business of screenwriting as a paid professional. Even if you're not trying to be a feature film screenwriter, working this muscle, understanding, because the first rule of screenwriting is show, don't tell. That's applicable to any storytelling, to your copywriting, to your brand messaging. And hey, if you're creating TikTok videos, you also have a somewhat of a script that you are creating. So it might not be a feature length screenplay, but the value that you're going to get from this is still going to be able to be applied to your content strategy. 
especially because Julia mostly helps people that are kind of in the beginning of their career or aspiring writers. She does script consults and she'll she'll give you notes on your scripts. But really, the what I found from her on her TikTok videos was so transparent about the process and what to expect because everybody comes, even I started making some writing content. People are like, hey, how do you get an agent? I'm like, buddy, I ain't got an agent. And so people people come with those same questions. Like, what should I do? What should I do? Who should I get? How do I get an agent? And she's just like, look, you got to do the work first. And all of these tips that she gives in this episode are so practical that you can apply. And it's not this glorified, romanticized version of what being a writer is like. And listen, we also come to it like I've been there before and I've learned this the hard way. So now I'm trying to take the lessons that I learned from Julia and others in the field and apply this to my goal of writing this first screenplay because I have many more ideas behind it and I want to pursue those too. Now, I know a lot of you out there might have similar goals. And again, even if you aren't going to enter this world of filmmaking, this episode is going to teach you the business of being a writer. So, here's my conversation with Julia Yorks, and I hope that you love it. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now, here's your host, award-winning filmmaker and writer, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Tuesday morning, I send out a quick storytelling tip to my newsletter subscribers. I show you techniques I've learned along my journey and used in my own stories, as well as those of my clients. But most importantly, I leave you with tangible takeaways that you can apply to your brand storytelling immediately. Oh, well, actually, more importantly than that, it's free. If this would help you, sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. I know a lot of the listeners to the show are public speakers or they want to become public speakers. But the problem that many experienced and aspiring professional speakers face is that they simply don't have the time to grow their business the way they would like. And look, I get it. I've been there. Maybe you're there right now. That's why I started using the team at Virtual Campfires to provide me with leads to events and conferences that are a good fit for my message. So they send me all the relevant details I need to immediately reach out and start a conversation with those decision makers. And they've worked with hundreds of speakers to provide tens of thousands of event leads, and it's easy to see why. Outsourcing this time-consuming step has saved me hours and hours of scanning Google and lets me go faster towards my goal of more events, more audiences, and more impact. All you need to do is email leads at virtualcampfires.com to see how their lead subscription business can help you the same way it's helped me. Again, that's leads at virtualcampfires.com. Let them help you tell more great stories and get paid for it. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you here. Uh, we haven't met yet, but I have been watching your stuff for a while. There's a, there's a, a great, I think there's a great community of filmmakers and screenwriters and producers on TikTok. And yeah. for me, it's really enjoyable to find those people. But I specifically like people uh, kind of 
it, we're around the same, I don't know, level sounds like it's such a terrible word to put it at, but people who are kind of starting to be a content creators, we're not out there, we're not A-list celebrities, but we've done it, we are doing it, and we are sharing that knowledge. This is what I really try to do with uh, my listeners and my audience, is sharing that knowledge, even if it's just a step or two behind where we just left, right, with people that are trying to go in the same path. So yeah. my first my first question is, because I, I think it's such an amazing platform for finding those people, my first question is I want to learn a little bit more about your journey there. Like at what point did you say, like, I'm going to start a TikTok account and help <laughs> people understand how to be better screenwriters or even the path to, to enter that world? Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me on. This is going to be really fun already. I can tell. Um, <laughs> you know, my TikTok journey started, I think, like everyone else's in 2020, where yeah. I was a big time lurker. And I was watching everyone do the dances and it was just a fun <laughs> escape and, um, you know, just scroll, 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 scroll constantly. And I thought about putting myself out there, but then I didn't. I don't know. I, I was never a big social media person, you know, I've got like a thousand followers on Instagram and, and I, I just, I don't post very often. And, um, and I, I was really using Twitter as my medium of kind of communication about screenwriting. And then I started to kind of happen upon uh, screenwriter TikTok a little bit. And I thought that it was in two different categories. It was older pros who had been in the business for a very long time. And then it was like younger film school kids who didn't really have a ton of real life experience, but had a lot of, you know, film school thoughts to share. And I certainly didn't begrudge either group their opinions, but I, one, I, I didn't really see any, you know, women who were giving their, their screenwriting advice, but two, I didn't see anyone who had really broken in, in the last five to 10 years or so. And even in the past two years, the industry has changed so much since COVID. And, and I just thought, I feel like I have something additive to say. And, and I feel like I am that kind of mid-level writer voice that is missing. Like we're hearing from people who are making a ton of money and we're hearing from people who are just starting out. But what about the people who are living in it and kind of dealing with the highs and the lows and and whose advice could maybe be additive? So that's why I posted my first video and it still makes me laugh. I go on general meetings or I see people and they're like, oh yeah, I've seen you on TikTok. And I'm like, oh, I forget that people I know <laughs> can see this. But <laughs> isn't it it's so it's so weird somehow well I get I get how its algorithm works and makes it different than Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. But it is so weird that when yeah. someone from your uh real life <laughs> like follows you there it's kind of this moment of like oh no like, like you know what i mean it's so it is so strange because it's not like instagram where your following is generally at least at first built from your connection your existing connections yeah. friends family co-workers etc but what, that feeling you just described is so on point where you have someone from your your normal life that follows you you're like oh i don't know it's funny there's this separation on tiktok yeah, and it's so funny because I've connected with a lot of people on TikTok who have a huge follower base. And it's always funny to me, like, who who follows me because everyone wants to get into screenwriting. Everyone has a story that they want to tell. And so that's been so interesting. But they all tell me, you've got to get 
to Instagram. Like you've got to cross post your TikToks to Instagram. And I'm like, oh, but I know people on Instagram. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't, it, it makes me nervous. But no, uh, it's a, it's I'm a trying. real thing. I have to, I have to actively uh, work through that thing that you just described because my Instagram yeah. was the same way. And, and initially, even though I was a creator, like I wasn't that heavy on social media when it first came out. And, and I regret it because like there was a documentary that I had made that was very much a labor of love. And I missed a big opportunity because it was a growing culture of like yeah. building my name within that culture. And I did a little bit, but I was there in the early days and I neglected to, to really do that. So I'm trying uh, not to do that now with TikTok, yeah. but my Instagram is still a lot of friends. And I have that same voice in my head. That's just like, oh, I know they're out there rolling their eyes. I know they're out there laughing at me. However, Julia, yeah. what I always land on is these, these people aren't paying my bills, right? <laughs> these are not my audience. And I just have to be okay with that. But just, just so you know, you're not alone. Every single day when I post a TikTok to Instagram, I, ha I have that thought. I, you can see who watches it, if it's like a reel or a story. And I'm like, and theirs are just like, you know, of their kids and things they're doing around their house like mine used to be. And it's like, I know they just, I look so cheesy, but I don't. I, don't I, I will say I have very supportive friends and That's they good. all, they're all like, we know, do it, do your, do thing. your thing. And so I appreciate <laughs> it. It's more of a me thing. And, and it's also so interesting because I think right now there's kind of be starting to become this backlash against like influencer culture and everyone totally. kind of wants to de-influence. And the funny thing for me is like, I'm a screenwriter. Like I love my job. I worked really hard to get to do this all the time. And would I love some, some free sheets? I would, yes, I would love it, but that's not ever going to be a thing that I want to full-time pursue. And so it also becomes this kind of tightrope of how do you spend your time? Um, how much time do you devote to it versus how much time you devote to your real creative career? Like there's only so much creative mental energy that you have. And so I try to block it off where I'm like, okay, today is a TikTok content yeah. day and I'll just do it all. And then all the rest of the days are writing days. And and so that kind of helps me. But yeah, it's it's been really funny to to try to to try to navigate. The worst is just recording yourself walking down the street. I don't know if I'll ever get used to that, but I'm trying. <laughs> It's a really valid point that you bring up about uh, creator burnout, I guess we can call it, yeah. where you're creating for your job, mm -hmm. and so do I. Yeah. Like, I just got done with a nice chunk of writing, like, something boring, but still, like, having to make it peppy and sound good and, and, and for a few hours, and, and I'm sitting down here with you, and then I'm going to have this pressure, like, oh, I got to get that video out, and it's it's a lot. So I think it's yeah. I think it's important to mention that, and I'm glad you did for people listening, of, like, you got to be a little bit realistic with yourself and give yourself some grace. Make a schedule that's not going to, like, just just overload you yeah. and then just try to be consistent but it is hard and so i think it's i think it's good for people to hear that that even those of us that are really trying to make it a consistent practice it's it's not easy and so i think some people because it's not easy will either tell themselves stories that aren't necessarily true 
Mm. Uh, that they have to be, you know, for example, that you have to put five videos out a day or something like that, that they've heard someone else say, and it's just not true. And it's, it's just going to, it will be challenging if you're having to create in your, your job and your career and then create after that to grow your brand or grow your audience. It's really challenging. Yeah. And you know, what's so funny. I, I do, um, I, I started doing like a one-on-one kind of consulting and script mm-hmm. reading um, just because I was getting asked by so many people. And finally, I was like, all right, why, why don't I do this? But I've talked to a couple of people and they are creative in other ways. Like one was a songwriter and the other was working on a novel. And they were both like, well, I also want to get into screenwriting. And I just said, you know, so much of my career – has been following the momentum. Like I started as a kid actor. I wanted to act. That was my that was going to be my thing. And then I broke in through kids animation, which was never something that I was like hmm. in love with, but it was my pathway in. And then I started into TV, but then movies kind of became that's that's where people wanted me to write more and so I kind of said to them, my, my advice to them was, well, if you're getting momentum in songwriting, if you're getting momentum in writing in this novel, why pivot now? Like you can do everything, but follow the momentum that you've already built because they're two totally different muscles and you just don't have, even if you're doing it full time, like you don't have the creative bandwidth to do everything. Mm-mm. So stick with the thing that is that is bringing some momentum in before you just switch to doing something else. Right. And I think at that point too, you're elevating your personal brand and Mm -hmm. people will listen. You're getting people's attention. So if you were to make a name for yourself as a songwriter, you'd be able to get someone's ear that you wouldn't have been able to before. And then you can kind of start to make those transitions because we all, as creators, a lot of us aren't rigid with the art that we create. We're interested yeah. in a lot of things, right? We're multi-potentialites. Multi-hyphenates. And, yeah, for totally, sure. Right. And so, but if you try to chase them all at the same time, you will get nowhere. You'll spin yeah. in circles. We talk about this a lot on the show. Uh, so I think that's a really good tip is, is to follow the momentum and you can always shift that momentum, you know, later down the path. But if you were to build up a little momentum and then put a dead halt to to it, we can imagine the outcome of that. So yeah. I think that, that's important to mention. Um, so we're talking about kind of giving people a roadmap. I think it's uh, it's awesome that you're showing that kind of middle ground of someone who's a working professional that's not this top tier because often we get caught up in like, oh, I want to be you know, Spielberg or I want to be Drake or whatever <laughs> and, not, and not like I want to be able to create my my art, my craft for a living. Right. Yeah. Um, and there was something I noticed that that you did uh, saw in one of your videos a, a while back that I think is important for people to learn. They can learn through people like you and your TikTok videos and people that try to give them the pathway. But there was one video where you were breaking down a script uh, while you're watching a show. Mm. And this is something like we, we know the, the, uh, I don't know if it's fair to call it a cliche, but, but people in the screenwriting world tend to know that like, Hey, if you want to write screenplays, you need to read screenplays. Don't just read books. Don't just read, you know, things like that. But I love that idea of you watching a TV show and basically writing the beats as you're watching it. Talk to me about that practice and how kind of deconstructing it it's so helpful to then understand how to build something like that. Yeah. Well, so I did that in a recent video. I uh, had a, 
an idea for a procedural TV show, which is basically like what you would watch on NBC or ABC or CBS or Fox, those, you know, crime of the week shows that like SVU or, or something, NCIS. And um, so I had an idea for that, and but I'd never written a procedural before. I've worked in in TV, but never in procedural television. And so I picked a couple of comps, so comparable shows that uh, were similar in idea and tone to the show that I want to create. And a big part of the job is actually so much of writing is not writing, which sounds silly and cheesy, but but it's true. So much of writing is thinking about writing or or thinking about your ideas or plotting out what you're going to write. And so for me, a big part of that is what I call research, but also is a little bit of just watching TV, which is my favorite thing to do. Right. <laughs> um, and it has always been since I was a little kid. But I'll sit and I'll watch, you know, the full first season of of a TV show. So for this case, it's a procedural. It's 24 episodes of TV. Mm-hmm. And I sit there and I watch. And I don't do this with every episode, but um, certain episodes I like to sit down and beat out every scene. And so it's like, okay, this was the A story. This was the case. This was the B story. This was kind of the um, like the personal conflict that one of the characters was having. This was the C story. And I see how much real estate scene wise is given to each of those things and then i also one of the things that i love to do so all of those broadcast shows have what are called act outs which is like you go to commercial and the end of every act out has to have sort of heightened stakes that's where it's always like but it's her father and it's like dun dun dun, dun. dun. and then you go to commercial <laughs> and you have to come back like they make it that way it's addicting you have right. to come back to see what happens and so I love watching that too. And I would like go through and kind of pause and be like, okay, this happened 18 minutes in, this happened 27 minutes in. Okay, interesting. And then I use that information when I'm crafting my own pilot. Um, so, you know, it just helps to have a little bit of a roadmap to see, again, building a roadmap of, of, of kind of what what you're going to write. So yeah, it's a huge part of the process for me. Um, I'm actually, I turned in that pitch on Friday and I'm switching gears to another project. And so today, one of my things was, great, I have to watch a horror movie that's in the vein of what I'm working on next. Because to switch gears mentally, you have to kind of be in the zone. So that's kind of my next, that's next on my list. That's exciting. Uh, Are you a horror fan? I am, I am, I'm also a, a huge baby. So um, I, it can't be too, too scary. Uh, but like I, I recently watched The Menu and I really enjoyed it. Um, it was that kind of like satirical comedy that mm-hmm. I thought was, or satirical horror that I thought was fun. Uh, so, so yes, I, I do like horror, but I get really scared. <laughs> <laughs> so you're probably great to write a horror film in, in that case. Yeah. Very good with jump scares. Right, I, right. They'll, they'll, always, they'll always get me. Um, you said something when you were talking about the act outs um, or alluded to this. You just keep basically keeping people's attention, right? We were yeah. talking about kind of a cliffhanger. But um, one of the things that applies to screenwriting or any kind of storytelling is the ability to keep that story moving forward, to keep people engaged. Yeah. And I think that's, a, a spot where a lot of beginners struggle 
and they may say, you know, or include information that's not, not super relevant or it's extraneous or it doesn't (laughs) move that story forward. Talk to me about the importance of that. And actually like, what is the strat, like, what are the tactics to use to do that? Yeah. I think the root of that, the root cause of that is twofold. The first is not having like strong enough stakes. Hmm. And the second is not having a strong enough structure. Um, the stakes are, you know, we've got to keep raising the stakes. We, you know, if those act outs end with those high tensions, with those questions, with those raised stakes, we need to come back to to hear more. Um, and structurally, I read a lot of pilots and 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 movies, like I said, um, with my one on one clients, where sometimes those big exciting moments are in the wrong place. And so if you, there's a very clear cinematic structure. And even if people are like, well, Tarantino doesn't do that. I mean, he sort of does though, because it's like a bell curve of, of rising and falling action. And, and people expect that and not in a way that um, is boring it's just in a way that the story arc is supposed to go. And so if some of those plot points are out of order, um, it doesn't propel the story forward like it needs to be propelled forward. So I think those are kind of the two the two biggest things that, that people overlook. And, and I think you're right as well, adding in information that is unnecessary. Um, like start try starting your scenes in the middle of the scene. You know, mm-hmm. we don't need to have the, hi, nice to see you. You too. Who killed my father? Like, get right into it. You know what I mean? And so um, that's, that's, I think, another key point as well. And something that I always love to do and something that I tell people to do is to, um, in the outline phase or even when you have the scenes written, go through and, and be kind of like, okay, well, what was the point of this scene? Why mm. did I write it? And if it's to convey this one piece of information – get to that information faster. Or if it's to show a relationship, is there a a more unique way that I can demonstrate this relationship? Um, So I think that's really helpful to kind of see, okay, why am I telling this particular story? What is the importance of this particular moment? And am I getting that across? Because if you're not, then you need to rewrite that scene. Or or worse, when they ask themselves, what's the purpose of this scene? There is, there is none. Yeah. Um, you know, this reminds me of something I say totally applies to storytelling and screenwriting, but I often find myself talking, uh, to editors about it. If they're editing like a video project, uh, for my company or even in design, it's like every creative decision needs to have a a reason, a purpose behind it. None of them don't. Right. And of course with film, it's funny on TikTok, uh, you will often see, you know, f- film, film nerds, film analysts, like kind of talking about choices that were made in a scene. And there's always like less than 10% of people, but I see a little pushback. Like it's not that deep, dude, <laughs> you know, like that's not, you know, it's yeah. just a coincidence. And it's like, no, the, any decision that was made, the lamp that was used, the color of the blanket, all of that was a decision that had to be made for some reason. But sometimes it's a decision because that's what the budget could afford totally. or because the re- the lamp we wanted to use broke and so we had to pull that blue one in instead and so it, that I, I think is always super interesting too is um yeah it's always a decision but what is the meaning behind the decision is it as, as big as we think 
So back to the the structure and the things that we include in the story, I think when people ask that, that that's a pra- practice that I th- I suspect I think is is often overlooked, at least for beginners, right? For aspiring writers to ask ask themselves like, well, what is this scene really doing? What is the yeah. real purpose that is serving to the overall to the overall picture or the overall story? And if there's not a good answer for that, if there is an answer for that. Like you said, we can look for different ways to do that. But if there's not a good answer to that, then that is kind of your answer, right? Yeah. Well, I call it, I, I say that it's, think about it like, oops, sorry, as I throw everything, <laughs> think about it as uh, it's real estate on the page and real estate uh-huh. is really expensive right now. Interest rates are high. So you only have, you know, if it's a, if it's a half hour pilot, you've got 30 pages. If it's an hour long, you've got 60. If it's a movie, you've got mm. about a hundred that feels like a lot of pages, but it's not. And so you have limited real estate. You have to use it the best way possible. That's and and so I find a lot of people are are misappropriating real estate space on the page that is that isn't needed. Highest and best use is what they say in real estate, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah. such a good way to put it. It's such a you got to be able to fit that. What is it, ADU on the property or whatever? I don't. Wait, I'll, <laughs> I've been I'm watching even... a lot of House Hunters, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, let Let's get really simple with it for folks uh, in terms of structure. Yeah. I don't know if there's a certain structure that you like. I often tell people there's there's like. A, a multitude of, of, you know, theories and structures out there, and they're all effectively yeah. showing the same kind of arc that you, you yes. already mentioned. Um, but for someone who's, who's beginning, they, they want, they have an idea for a story, a humdinger of a story in their mind, and they, they want to write a screenplay. Like, where do you start from the really big macro perspective in terms of structure? Let's, let's get, let's get real simple for them. Yeah. So I actually, I did a video on this recently. I am someone who sees things visually. Mm-hmm. So that's where my inspiration comes from is I see a scene in my head or or a moment and then I just kind of, you know, extrapolate it out from there. Mm. I think you know, then I watch a bunch of of shows and and movies that are in the vein and I think that's really helpful for people. I would highly urge you to do that and look at the major beats and say, "Okay, this is a thing that happens here." But if you're looking for a resource on what those beats are, and this might be a little controversial, but Uh-oh. I think a really great like beginner beat sheet format is save the cat. And I I know mm. that that a lot of people think that it's overly simplistic or they, they don't like it, but it really is just it falls into that kind of bell curve arc and I can I, literally I, I use it for so many of my stories. I can tell you the points from from memory. It's like the opening image. That's what we open our movie on. And then it's mm-hmm. the setup. So these are the the first 10 pages are like this is this person's life. And this is normal until a catalyst or an inciting incident happens and that kind of changes their trajectory and they have a debate of whether or not they're going to change that trajectory. And once they decide, yes, we are, then we go into act two. And then act two is kind of the fun and games or what's called the promise of the premise. Um, So I always use the movie, there's a rom-com, I don't know why I always use this movie, but there's a rom-com on Netflix called Set It Up that is about two assistants um, who have horrible bosses and they decide that their bosses would be a lot better 
um, temperament wise if they fell in love. And so the whole point of the movie is they're trying to set up their bosses. And so the promise of the premise is all of these scenes of them trying to get their bosses together, right? And then there's a midpoint where the midpoint is going to, well, there's a B story in there too. So maybe like a love story. Uh, the midpoint is like where we think we think we got the bosses set up. Like we think that we've achieved our goal. We think that everything is going to work. And then it's all kind of downhill from there, right? And I don't need to go through the whole thing, but you see it kind of goes down the problem. And then it comes back up in act three where the protagonist kind of redeems themselves. And I think that's the simplest way to think about structure. So it's a free template. It's online. I also oh, made perfect. a BG template. Um, that's a little bit more complex. So maybe for beginners, it's not necessarily the best use. But but I think thinking about, you know, that structure is really all about story and plot. And it's not really at all about characters, mm. right? And so much of, of our story totally. and our conflict comes from a protagonist and an antagonist wanting opposing things. And so that I think is also really important to, to consider when you're working, but, but start with the basics, start with the story structure. And, and I think this, the save the cat template is, is really great for that. So I, maybe people are throwing tomatoes at me through, through their, no, ear no, no, no. I'm blocking them all. I would, <laughs> I wouldn't let that happen. I'm, I'm, I'm knocking them all to the ground. Uh, where, where can people find your beat sheet? Um, so my beat sheet, I will, I'll put it back up on my, stand store. If you go to any of my profiles, I have like a, a link. I have a link in bio. Oh. Uh, and so you click on it. <laughs> and right now, actually, it's linked to my free YouTube video where I okay. do basically a full TV pitch for people. It's a pitch that I actually did to networks and studios. Oh, and you filmed for it. For a TV show. And I filmed it Smart. and then kind of go through step by step to explain to people why it worked and and what, you know, every aspect of the pitch and it's just so it's like you watching the video doing a voiceover talking about no it's me i record i did it again i i had pitched it a couple of years ago i think in 2019 and so i recorded myself oh. doing it fresh and then walking through it with everybody because oh, i just super yeah it's cool it's fun i don't know i i like trying to demystify the industry a little bit and i think that um you know i was listening to script notes once and mm -hmm. craig maslin was saying how he thinks of himself as a chef and so he doesn't love to give all of his secret ingredients all of the stuff that and yeah. and i think you know there might be a recipe but everyone's going to follow it in a different way and totally. i know that i have like my own special sauce that I, that i bring to something and and so i don't really see the harm in sharing my template really you know yeah i agree with that i mean i've there's a something I often say that is like, if, if we all had the same budget and the same access to resources and we're told to make a film about the same topic yeah. out of a hundred people, it would be a hundred different films because we yeah. are all different. Our perspectives and our experiences are all different and therefore how we tell the story would be. So I, t I totally agree with you there. Sorry, Craig. Um, <laughs> you are, you are, you are uh, a genius. Yeah, I, I haven't watched The Last of Us, but I've heard it. I've watched the first episode, and it's it's sick. I don't typically like I'm not a gamer, so I, yeah. I'm not like against anything like that. But it, it is uh, I saw enough um, 
uh reviews that were just like the best show game you know show inspired from a game ever and i was like all right let me give it a, a, a yeah. shot and it, the first episode was was good so no i'm excited i I wasn't super uh keen on going back into uh like a pandemic <laughs> yeah. world but yeah. i guess i will have to put my mask on and, and get back <laughs> into it <laughs> um i uh i i created a video on tiktok the other day that i gave you a little name drop in um i think it just a couple days ago but i was talking about how to make your your uh stories more memorable Mm. and the point that i referenced you on was and ending strong and this concept you have of sticking the landing right which i I really i really love i mean talk to me a little bit uh, about how and thinking again from from the mindset of someone who's trying to get their story onto the page yeah of how the beginning or the inciting incident as you as you said and and the ending are are tied together and how people can kind of weave that that story within those two points because i think a lot of people kind of miss that but yeah um, well i want to talk i mean i don't i i wonder if i can use an example without 100 percent spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen tar um, oh, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. Then, really then I it? won't talk about it. Well, oh, wait, no, wait, wait. I, okay. Go for it. No, no, I'm not going to tell no, you no, not I to talk about it. I will say this. Video. One of my good friends uh, who's a film buff and works in the in the industry too, he's a cinematographer, um, he said that he had to basically go and like get a drink or two afterwards uh, after he saw it <laughs> because it was it messed with him emotionally. So does that no. sound accurate? No. no? I, I, ha- I mean, I, I enjoyed it and I thought she was – totally fantastic um i'll pivot because i don't want to spoil it but i i think i guess my my thought process is that whatever you know hand you tip in the beginning right. make sure that it pays off at the end and vice versa if something comes up at the end make sure that you gave us a little something to to make that feel like a payoff at the end and and I guess what I what I was talking about in that video was that I, I read a lot of scripts and there are some that I read where I'm like, ooh, okay, this is this is really good. This is off to a great start. And then around the midpoint, it kind of starts to lose that promise of the premise a bit. It kind of loses its momentum. And I think the reason for that is because of a couple of different things. First off, writing a script is really hard and you get to the midpoint and you're like, oh my God, I still have, I'm only halfway done. And so I think that it, you know, sometimes you just default to um, what feels maybe like the easiest solution, something that's not as unique or, or propulsive or, um, you know, it, it, as, as good of a story, it just kind of becomes a little cliche because you're just rushing to the finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I think that sometimes it's just not proper planning. And, and so, yeah, I, I think it, you just kind of have to, t- if it starts out really creative, um, I want to see it continue to be that. I want to see that uniqueness continue. And I, and I've just seen it scripts start out really strong and kind of again not really be able to land the plane hmm. i think that's a good point um i i don't think i've viewed it like this until you just said this but um yeah you know 
I was listening to something today. Uh, I will talk about him again, but uh, I just had Stephen Pressfield on my, on my show. Who's uh, if you aren't familiar with his work, he's a novelist, but he, he started off writing screenplays in like the nineties mm-hmm. and he was talking about, um, you know, the value of knowing how the story is going to end kind of before, before you start. And so, I would, yeah. And so, as you were saying that, because it's easy for me to see like, hey, if you tip your hat to something, as you said in the beginning, tie that up, you know, at the yeah. end, but you kind of reverse engineered it. And it made me realize that if you know the ending too, that's kind of how you can get back to the beginning. Because I think also people, people suffer from what you just said, which is starting all strong and then limping across the finish line. Yeah. But I know that people also struggle with maybe a great idea and not knowing how to get into it, how to start it. So that's, yeah. that's a, that's a really good tip. And I haven't really viewed it like that until, until this moment. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I am someone who I outline, I beat sheet, like before I get into writing the pages of the script, I know exactly what I'm going to write. Mm. So that is something that I have learned in my years of writing professionally, that it's incredibly helpful. Also just it's practical when you are hired professionally, you tend to have to turn in different steps. And so you're paid in steps where it's like, okay, you're paid to turn in an outline and then everyone looks at it and then you're paid to turn in a first draft. So it's actually something that's required of you to do. Uh, but I, but I really do think it helps so much to plot out what comes next and what comes at the end. And, and yeah, I, I think that's, Figuring out what the ending is is incredibly important. You had mentioned when we first started talking about how much, even in the past two years, the industry has changed. Yeah. What are some of the new, there's probably a lot of answers to this, so bear with me, but what are some of the new paths of opportunity for folks who are starting out now that have great great stories to tell? Yeah, I mean, I think that... There is a difference between having a great story to tell and having a great script. Hmm. I think that is the hard truth of becoming a screenwriter. I think a lot of people have great stories to tell. I think a lot of people think they have great stories to tell. And I think a lot of people actually (laughs) have great stories to tell. Very true. And I said recently in a video that I think what a lot of people think of is gatekeeping Mm -hmm. of Hollywood keeping new voices out also is a bit of quality control. And I think that that can be a little difficult for people to hear, but there are a lot of people in the industry who have great ideas. And so to break into the industry, you need something that makes you stand out. And what makes you stand out is a great script, Mm -hmm. not just a great idea, because there are people who are already there who can write a great script, who have great ideas too. And so I think the best way to break into the entertainment industry as a screenwriter is to have at least one really great sample. And that can be a little bit of a hard truth, I think. And then what, what would somebody do with that sample? Because I just, I don't know if you've seen this yet. Um, um, 
but uh, there was a video on TikTok of some kid giving um, Mia oh. Goth the right. Okay, so you know, I did giving that. her the screenplay at a screening, and there was like a, a good faction of people that were like, "Yeah, go for your dreams," and and there was a you know, the professionals were like, "Don't do this, screenwriters." Yeah, I mean, um, look, it worked for that kid, right? But now, yeah, but every... what worked? We don't know. You know, sure, she took it. it she could have right. thrown it away on the way out the the, the theater. Well, she um, probably has to because if she, that's mm. the thing. So. In the industry, I can't accept an unsolicited script from anyone because if it has similar themes of something that I'm working on or something that I will work on in the future, you can come back and say, you stole that right. from me. Even if it's, you know, even if mm. they're both about the same subject and they have nothing to do with each other. It's like you said previously about how you can give 100 filmmakers the same idea and they all go out and make a different thing. Mm. So it's it's a liability but I also say, I mean, way to go shoot your shot. Um, it was bold. Mm -hmm. It's not something that, you know, I don't have the the visceral <laughs> the, the visceral reaction that I think a lot of people do because I get I it. I think it stems from the inability to figure out how to get your work seen. And so people are are rooting on this kid who potentially got his work seen, right? Yeah, totally. And so the best way to do that, there is a multitude. And, and I did have a podcast for a little while and it was called the Baby Writers Podcast and <laughs> uh, lasted eight episodes that I produced and three that I still have in the can that I have to air. I think I'm going to put them on YouTube. But the most interesting thing about it was that all of these writers had broken in in the past two years. So mm. or three, I guess now, but basically since COVID. And they had all broken in in the most different ways imaginable. Uh, there were some who broke in through screenwriting competitions, like they made it to Austin Film Festival and found connections that way when they went to the festival. There were some who did um, things like Coverfly or The Blacklist and got their scripts noticed that way and ended up getting staffed and then selling shows. There were some who started as writer's assistants who worked their way up mm -hmm. in that pathway. And, and the one that I'm thinking of in particular is uh, this woman named Katie White who did this when she was 40. She was a writer's assistant. When I think when I say writer's assistant, people typically think of younger, fresh out of college sure, kids. Sure. Um, there was Caroline. She was a development executive, an assistant at a, a working in development. That was another pathway in. Um Charday won a contest off of the Wendy Williams show that she or like that she saw an ad for. So truly, there were so many different ways that people broke in. And it's all about, I always say it's having it's having it, you know, it's that luck meets opportunity thing, but but I think it's more so than that. It's having a great script, having that preparedness with your sample, but also finding and establishing a network. And mm. access because you can have a great script and if you don't have access to the people who can do anything with it, all you have is a great script. But if you only have access and you don't have the goods to show them when the opportunity arises, all you have is access and and no further pathway in. Right. So I really do think it's a combination of those things. And so be it screenwriting competitions, be it um, – you know, script reading, you know, note services, places like Coverfly or 
um, what is the other one now that I'm thinking about it? Uh, roadmap. roadmap. Yeah. Coverfly roadmap, places like that, blacklist, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's those pathways, whether it's you're coming up as an assistant and you form genuine relationships with people and ultimately give your script to them and they pass it along. Um, I think that's probably the most difficult part of the industry is that there's no one way to break in. So there's no clear cut path forward. And that makes it difficult. Yeah. But I think your point is so true and so valid about you have to, you kind of have to be out there doing it and moving and shaking. And I have this theory, bear with me here, see if you can, can, can follow this, if it makes sense or if I'm crazy. Um, (laughs) You know, you said this thing about luck meeting opportunity. And I've always pictured luck as this sporadic little jolt of energy, we'll say, Mm -hmm. or whatever, that's just randomly bouncing around the universe. And is there a chance that you could be sitting on your couch and it could land right there on the couch? Sure. That's the one in a million, like I won the lottery type of thing. But in my opinion, uh, the more you're out there putting yourself out in the world and around in these spaces, the more chance you have of getting hit at that. Right. Does that make sense? And so, uh, you know, your point about making, you know, you know, uh, uh, building your network, even understanding that things like cover fly and blacklist uh, exist, right? right? Screenwriting competitions. Like you have to be out there moving around if that little jolt of luck, which it is going to take some of that to even have a chance at hitting you. It's certainly not going to come to you and ask you for that great idea you have in your head. Yeah. Well, two things. The first is to piggyback off of your light luck idea. <laughs> I had a professor at at USC. I went to University of Southern California for screenwriting. And he always said that imagine opportunities in this industry, like you're sitting and waiting at a bus stop and the bus pulls up, but you're not ready to board yet. And so the bus leaves, but you don't know when the next bus is coming. And so you really had better be ready to get on that bus. Damn. I know. That's good. I know. It's, That's it's really, a really powerful. I think about it all the time about the bus. Oh stop. my God. I got chills just thinking get about the, the, bus. the bus driving away. Yeah. You got to be Ooh. ready to get on the bus because when the bus comes, you you got to be there. And, um, but the other thing that I wanted to say too, in reference to that is when you do put yourself out there and you do put your work out there, every person that I talked to on the baby writers podcast, they all had like I said, different pathways. I talked to to one of the guys and and he, David Williams, he had written like 15 or 20 feature scripts. Like the guy was a machine. He just kept writing and kept writing and kept writing. And one of them ultimately got him on this path, but then the other ones kind of were ready following right behind once he got noticed. And then a- another, another writer, Fran, he had written 40 drafts of the same pilot. And he only, when he got staffed, he just had one pilot, but it was perfect because he had written 40 drafts of it. So I think the big takeaway is that you can't just write two drafts of one thing and expect it to be contest ready and, okay, I'm ready for my close-up. It really takes a lot of work because the other people who are also applying to these contests, they're getting on the bus ready. And so sometimes it's okay to let the bus pass if if you're not there yet. Also a very good point. Also a very good point. 
that that we're riding with this analogy yeah, yeah no 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 i'm digging it i'm digging it i'm visualizing it julia uh no that's a good point too if you get on that bus and you're not you're not fully dressed and you don't have your files in your briefcase and everybody yeah. else is like yeah that's yeah a good, that's a good point your um film your screenplay that you sold to freeform i believe yeah, I sold a TV show to TV Freeform. Show. Yeah, so I pitched them a show that was in 20, pitched it 2018 and then developed it with them 2019. So I spent all of 2019 writing the pilot with them. Uh, and then they ultimately didn't pick it up to pilot. So they didn't pick it up to shoot the pilot. So it just kind of uh, didn't go anywhere from there. But it's still one of my favorite projects that I've ever, ever written. What um, was that? the first one that you did solo, but no. So I had, before that I was staffed on a ton of kids animated shows. Mm -hmm. So I was staffed on the adventures of Puss in Boots. I was staffed on trolls. And then I did probably, I've probably done 40 plus freelance episodes of kids TV in my career. But yes, that was my first, uh, sale. I guess yeah. that was, that was my first sale. As you, a you went and thought of something, put it on the page and took it out there and sold it. Yeah, and it's also pretty wild because it was just me, uh, like an independent producer and my manager. And I, like I said, I was pretty much a nobody. I'd only worked in kids TV, which is not highly thought of in the rest of the industry, which is such a bummer because it's literally the same job and the people are it's very, very kind. Um, but it was so interesting because now – what I've been finding more so now than ever is in order to sell a project like that, you have to have huge attachments. So you need to have a director or talent. Um, there's no such thing anymore. There is, but it, it's very rare to sell a script. Mm -hmm. What happens now is a production company will read the script and attach to it. And so they come on board, usually do then a round of producer's notes or a couple of round of producer's notes for free. And then their attachment to the project, that's a bigger name. So then they go out and they try to find pieces of talent, they call them. So like directors, actors, and bring them on board the project. And then once everybody, like once the, you know, Power Rangers are assembled, then and only then does the studio pay up and and buy your script and then ultimately set out to to make the movie. So it's pretty crazy. I would say pre-strike of 2007, um, what I had heard from from more of, of, of industry folks was that people would, would just buy a script. And then I interned at a production company and they just had a room like this that was just full <laughs> of scripts that they owned and never did anything with. And, and they don't do that anymore. I think this may be, uh, may be my last question, but I, yeah. I, I'm based in North Carolina. I lived in New York at, at one time. And one of the things that, one of the perhaps limiting beliefs that people not in LA or New York tend to have is that they have to be there to, to do it, right? To do, right. To do the thing. Um, and there's a valid reason for, for that. But my question is, has that changed? If someone were to try to build their network, write their first screenplay in a North Carolina or in Oklahoma or wherever, is it possible? What's the different approach if there mm -hmm. is one? What advice do you give them? 
Yeah, 100%. I think COVID and and the kind of the pandemic and the remoteness of the industry has made it possible to break in from other places for sure. I would highly not recommend moving out to LA in 2023 because there is an impending writer's strike. I'm actually headed to a WGA meeting right after this to kind of get the lowdown on on what's going on. But as someone who moved to LA for the first time unknowingly in 2007, right before the 2007-2008 strike where the industry just totally shut down, I would say now is not the time because based on my experiences, agents aren't looking for new talent at this point because the strike it might shut down and they're kind of looking for their own looking yeah. out for their clients that they already have um and so I, I don't think now is the right time to pack up and move it all to la just kind of my own little disclaimer um but i also think that you know, I see people giving advice sometimes where they say just take a risk on yourself and move out and I think you can take a risk on yourself without, you know, being financially irresponsible. LA is a very expensive place to live and it can be really hard. It can be a hard place to get a job in the industry. Industry jobs don't pay a lot. And I think that it's really important that you have yourself set up before you make that move. And it's easier to do that now more than ever from somewhere else. All general meetings, so when you meet generally with production companies or studios or execs, it's all remote. Pitches even are remote. So when I pitch a TV show, it's it's remote. It's, it's over Zoom. I actually, I moved to New York in 2019. My husband got into business school and I was working on this freeform show at the time where I was working from home. I was remote. And I said, okay, let's do it. And the first nine months that we were here, I was like, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I just had to keep flying back out to LA and it was yeah. getting very expensive. Yeah. And then once COVID happened, it was to my advantage in that mm -hmm. respect that suddenly it didn't matter that I lived here. I will also say I had lived in LA for 11 years. So I had established yeah. a network. And I do think that sometimes it uh, is not in my best interest that I'm not there. I think I, I miss out on different networking things and social and so many jobs that I've gotten have been recommendations from people I've worked with in the past. Mm -hmm. And so it, it helps to maintain those networks. But again, it's not limiting anymore in that sense. I think TV, it's still somewhere that you ultimately have to end up in LA if you want to work in television, because that's where a lot of the shows shoot. And ultimately there are some rooms that are back in person. So eventually I think with TV, if you want to be in TV, you do eventually have to make your way out to Los Angeles. Um, but I think the best things that you can do if you are currently not in New York or LA is to get on screenwriter Twitter, get on screenwriter TikTok, find your networks. If there's a film festival in your area, go volunteer. If there is uh, other writers in your area or that you meet online, people that you can join a writers group with and share, share scripts back and forth and get feedback from people who also want to be doing this. I think that's, those are all things that are, you know, you can do that from anywhere. 
And, and, and I think those are all things, particularly if you're not in New York or LA that you should be doing if you want to be a screenwriter. And yeah, that, that's all the, that's all the, the grinding out work that must be done. That's and the access, yeah. right? That's, that's, that's the access and, and that's the networking. Absolutely. Julia, thank you so much. This was thank awesome. You. And I think it's going to be really helpful for people uh, to, to kind of have that, that roadmap. That was the first thing that struck me about, about your content is just kind of that open door. Like, look, here's how I did it. It's not the only way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really inspiring, but I couldn't agree more. So plus one to what you said about just get out there and TikTok is a great place to do it. Twitter is a great place to do it. Both of those really seem to, both of those platforms seem to really take care of their communities. I've noticed. Yeah. And uh, I think so. it's just important and, and I'm sure your listeners already know this, but I think it's just important to remember that, you know, perception is really kind of everything on those platforms. So go in open to learn, to listen, to meet people in a positive way. Don't be the person who's arguing with people. <laughs> you you don't want to be that because again, yeah. it, it's all about networking and relationships. And so you just want to establish real authentic relationships with people. I've seen so many newly professional writers who have crafted these relationships with other people on these apps and they're mm -hmm. all rising together and so it's really cool to see it's wild how many of my great relationships right now were formed and possibly still only exist online or on social media <laughs> and now you're one of them julia so, oh, so thank you <laughs> no, i appreciate Thanks you being so here fun. have a good day my name is rain bennett thanks for listening if you enjoyed that episode do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast if you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a story coaching and consulting company that builds online education, in-person and virtual training, and digital products that help businesses master storytelling to find their ideal customers and market to them effectively. You can learn more at SixSecondStories.com and purchase the book Six Second Stories at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or RainBennett.com slash SixSecondStories. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.